There is a silence in the waiting, stillness, cleansing, renewal. It centres the soul to the beginning. There is an anticipation in waiting, suspenseful, beguiling, profound. It centres the soul to be ready. There is a redemption in the waiting, joyful, praising, favourable. It centres the soul on God. The second of our candles lit today, the second week of Advent on the way, stories of old once more are retold as we gather to hear of a new word from God. From stillness of tongue and patient, quiet wait pours out a new song. Zechariah's child will be great. Hi and welcome to St Ninian's Church in Stonehouse. If we haven't met before, I'm Stuart and it's my privilege to be the minister here. I hope you enjoy your time together wherever you find yourself this morning. Before we go any further, I wanted to talk just for a moment to invite you to join us next week for a very special service which we call Light in the Darkness. It's a moment in the middle of Advent where we take time to remember. We sit with our memories of those that we miss and we remember those we have lost. The service takes place at 3pm on Sunday the 12th of December and there will be a version of the service available online for those who would rather take part in that way. Details of other things we're doing are at the end of the service or on our website at saint-nirians-stonehouse.org.uk Lisa Cameron joins me today in leading worship. Reading from Malachi chapter 3 verses 1 to 4 I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord, as in days gone by, as in former years. A reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip Tetrarch of Ituria, and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zachariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. 
Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. It's always fun to get a reading with names and places. Well, it's fun if it's someone else that has to read them. When people ask how to pronounce things, I usually just shrug and advise them, just pick something that makes sense to you and say it with confidence, because nobody else will know. But it does pose a question. Why all the names? Who cares that it was the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius? Or who was governor or ruler of the regions? Or who was the chief priest? Well, I suppose it gives the story of Jesus an anchor to a particular time and place. And for some people, those kinds of concrete details are really important. These names and positions tell us all about people in authority. They're the people with power over politics, economics, the military and also religious life. They say what goes and their rules and culture and religion set the context for what will unfold next. There's the mighty Tiberius, emperor of Rome, the most powerful man on the planet, commander of legions, self-proclaimed son of the gods. The Romans renamed the Sea of Galilee after him, Lake Tiberius. And then there's Pilate. Caesar's man in Judea, based in Jerusalem, a ruthless politician and general who was eventually sent back to Rome because of the horrific way he dealt with a Samaritan uprising. Then there's Herod, Philip and Lysanias, the three sons of Herod the Great. They were the local rulers but they were never kings because by the time their father died Judea was a client state of Rome. This Herod, Herod Antipas, is one of the three that we hear about most because he was in charge of Galilee where Jesus spent much of his time. It was Herod who built his capital on the banks of the Sea of Galilee and, and named it after his patron, the Emperor Tiberius. And then there's Annas and Caiaphas, the high priests. Annas was the high priest first and then his son-in-law Caiaphas took over. But Annas was still around in the background. They exercised a huge amount of power in the religious life of the community from the temple in Jerusalem. Each of these characters will make an appearance as the story unfolds, and all of them will still be there at the end. But in the middle of all of this power, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. The contrast couldn't be greater. Not to a palace, not to a centre of power, not to an emperor or governor or local ruler or even the high priest, but in the wilderness. To the son of an old priest called Zechariah, whose wife Elizabeth was also old and she didn't think she could ever have children. Zechariah didn't even believe it was possible that Elizabeth was pregnant. He was struck dumb for the whole period of the pregnancy. I suppose that's what happens when you argue with an angel. They named their son John. And he went around the region of the Jordan River, baptising people and shouting a lot. But more about that next week. This week it's important for us to think about who John was before we start to explore what he did. And that's often a difficult task for any of us. We tend to describe ourselves by what we do or by our relationships. Hi, I'm Stuart and I get to be the minister here. I'm married to Avril and I support Motherwell. And that doesn't tell you much about me yet. Apart from my job, my excellent taste in football teams and that I somehow managed to convince Avril to marry me and that that was a good idea and I still don't know how she fell for that but I'm glad she did 
but it doesn't tell you about my generally sunny disposition or my deep insecurities or even my skills and abilities. The clues we get about John are pretty big ones though. The first clue is in all the names and the titles. But at first glance, they don't tell us anything about John, they tell us about other people. Well, sometimes saying what someone or something is not can be just as helpful, just as revealing as telling us what or who someone is. John is not these people. John has no wealth or power or status. Instead of living in a palace with fine clothes and fancy food, commanding armies or interpreting the religious and civil law, we read about a wild man with a tunic made from camel hair and a leather belt, living on his own in the wilderness, surviving by eating locusts and honey. It's in the contrast that we find out more. And for the people of that time, they would recognise this character. There's stories about a guy just like this, a prophet who lived outside the cities and fearlessly railed against the king, Ahab, and his, and his wife Jezebel. His name was Elijah, and he was the greatest of all the prophets, who was taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire. And the people think this is who John is. Elijah returned. There hasn't been a proper prophet for centuries. The rumours of a Messiah come and go. The people have been waiting such a long time, they've almost given up hope. But they still read stories in their scriptures about a messenger from God who will herald the arrival of a new age, who will prepare the way for the Saviour. Luke gives us Isaiah chapter 40. He starts at verse 3, but we often hear the first verse in Advent. Great words of hope to the people in exile. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. It's time. Time for things to change. Time for things to get better. All the troubles and heartache are soon to be over. But Malachi gives us a reminder of how uncomfortable that message will be. There's some sorting out to be done. He talks about the refining fire that heats up the silver so the impurities can be removed, or the fuller soap that strips away the dirt from freshly spun cloth. The end result is what we all desire. But the process of getting there can be hard, painful even. Isaiah talks about levelling the path. And that's what would happen when the king was coming. Apparently the queen thinks the world smells of paint. Well, in those days, it was freshly fixed roads that were important because if you were travelling a long way in a carriage, that made a difference. But Isaiah goes further. It's not just the roads that will be fixed. The whole countryside would be levelled. Valleys raised up and mountains brought down. Why? Because salvation is for everyone. It's not for just for the great and the mighty who are the ones who always get things first. This coming saviour is for everyone. So prepare the way. But what does that mean for us? How do we prepare the way? What would the refining fire find in us that needs removing? What would the fuller soap wash away? Advent's a preparing time. We know it's a time for hopeful waiting, but that doesn't mean there's nothing to do. We're challenged to make way in our hearts for the arrival of Christ into our lives. And that's not just a one-time process. It's something that we need to continue to do every day. I wonder how many of the roads that were prepared for the king were just left to crumble again after he had passed through. I wonder how many of the buildings don't ever see another coat of paint for years after the Queen has visited. Is it the same for us? 
Do we have a sudden rush of enthusiasm because we get caught up in the excitement of the moment? It's Advent. Jesus is coming. But what about when the trees are down and the decorations are back in the box, leaving houses seeming empty and bare? Do we pack away Jesus with them? Our preparation is a habit of self-examination, taking the time to do that refining work, noticing when things aren't quite right, things are, are starting to creep back in, nipping those things in the bud before they take hold. Preparing is about establishing good habits and helpful behaviours. It's about persistence too, because we almost never get something right the first time we try it. Good preparation takes commitment and effort. So prepare the way the King is coming. Prepare the way salvation is near. Prepare the way because this is for everyone. Lord God, we thank you for the ministries of those who have gone before us. Remembering the great heroes of faith like John, Elizabeth and Zachariah's boy. For all the expectation and hope placed on his young shoulders 
preparing the way for the one to follow, the cost of which could be and indeed would be so high. We witness with some trepidation. Do we overburden our young with expectations and hopes that may burn them out before they are able to withstand the pressures and stresses? We pray for young people, particularly in a time of such great pressure, from climate change to social media, from reduced opportunities abroad to rising costs, that they might be able to maintain hope and a sense of peace about their futures. We give thanks for all the servants of Christ who have given of themselves to build communities of faithful witness in our cities, towns and villages. May we in turn build upon that work, finding new ways relevant to our own communities that bring hope and peace, good news and grace. In communities where hope seems removed, where peace is a twisted joke, where future dreams focus more on surviving, where women's rights and education are removed, where violence is unchecked, where corruption is rampant. We pray for people to stand firm. We pray for resilience and fortitude, for those seeking to bring restoration and healing, for agencies seeking to bring honesty and truth, and for people like us, ordinary folk, to find the courage to speak out, naming what we see taking place. All these things we pray in the words you taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom the power and the glory forever. Amen. There is a silence in the waiting. Stillness. Cleansing, renewal. It centres the soul to the beginning. There's an anticipation in waiting. Suspenseful. Beguiling. Profound. It centres the soul to be ready. There's a redemption in waiting. Joyful, praising, favourable. It centres the soul on God. So go with God's blessing in the long wait of Advent. God with us, creator, source and spirit, today and every day. Food Bank continues to collect every Sunday from 1pm until 2.30pm at the front door of St Ninian's Church. Your donations are particularly welcome at this time of year.
Our Advent Bible study continues on Mondays at 7.30pm on Zoom. Details of how to join are on the screen and on our website. A Light in the Darkness service happens on Sunday the 12th of December at 3pm in St Ninian's. There will also be a version of this service available online. This is a service of remembering, recognising that Christmas can be difficult for many people. We'd be really pleased if you could join us for this. On Christmas Eve, our family service takes place at 7.30pm. There will also be a version of this service online. We hope you can join us for a fun-packed Christmas Eve. And our watch night service is on Christmas Eve from 11.30pm. Again, there will be a version of this service online for those who would rather join us in that manner. You'll be very welcome as we watch and wait for the midnight hour to turn and for the Christ child to be born.